0: But uh, we're all fascinated with knowing the future. What will happen to interest rates? Do I lock them in? Do I stay on a variable? What will happen to petrol prices? What will the weather be like next week? Uh, how do I prepare for climate change? But that's just the start. Wouldn't it be great to know God's will for your life? Just generally, or maybe in a specific area. Like what uni course to study, or who to marry or which job to apply for, or which house to buy, or how many kids to have. Now, how do you find out what God's will is on those sorts of things? Some people pray and fast, they seek God's face. Some people do their own research. Some people ask the opinions of others, or maybe some combination of those three things. Other people I know have tried the biblical precedent, like uh, when Gideon put out the fleece. Do you remember that? And they'll say things like, God, if the next car I see is a Subaru, I know that you want me to buy a Subaru. Or, if that gorgeous blonde woman over there asks me what time it is, I'll know that you want me to marry her. Or sometimes people expect a, a little voice telling them what to do. Um... I've had plenty of people say that sort of thing to me. God told me that uh, I need to be doing this or, or, or doing that. My dad has had people say to him, God told me that you should do this. To which my dad replies, well, thank you very much, but he hasn't told me. So when he tells me, then I'll do it. A friend of Karen's family was sure that God was saying to her that her husband, who'd left her, would return and their marriage would be repaired. And so what that meant was for a while she waited. She was waiting for him to come back. But somewhere somewhere along the line, God's plan for her must have changed because she found someone else and got remarried. I'm not quite sure what she says about God's original uh, message. Sometimes people just feel comfortable with a certain course of action. Uh, and they talk about having a sense of peace and they take that as God's guidance. Uh, so is that what we should expect when it comes to guidance? What, uh, h- how do you know? Well, all of those things seem a little unclear and a bit uh, uncertain, which is why I can understand the attraction when people say they've received a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge. Because it sounds much more exciting than a sermon or listening to someone else's advice. uh, Much more relevant and specific. So how does God guide today? Should we be using those sorts of methods? Or is there something else? Is it even right to expect that God gives us a clear direction for those sorts of everyday decisions? Now they're the sorts of questions that I think come out of today's passage. Just on the surface level of it, you've got Paul making all sorts of decisions. As Merrick said, he he travels from here to some other place. He stays in one town for months, and another town he stays there a few days. Or or he bypasses a region altogether. He makes a choice of his uh, travelling method. He he walks, he, he catches a boat, he travels with this group of people, but another group of people who will send on ahead of him or send behind him. He receives all sorts of guidance. There are people who advise him. He gets messages from God. There are dreams. And through it all, he's very clear about what God's will is for him. So let's follow along with this next section of his journey, see what we can learn about discovering God's will. We're taking up the story from verse 13 of chapter 20. Uh, But before I do, let me give you a little bit of uh, background. Uh, Chapter 19, verse 21, Paul is in Ephesus, which you can see with a red circle, and he's on his way outward from uh, Antioch here, and he's made it as far as Ephesus on his third missionary journey. Uh, And at that point, he decides he's going to head for Jerusalem, which is back over here. Uh, But he says this uh, Acts 19, verse 21. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. He stayed in Ephesus. Now, by the way, uh, literally, uh, Paul says he resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now, which I take it means something like, Paul decided in dependence on the Holy Spirit, with the direction of the Holy Spirit, to go to Jerusalem. It doesn't really explain the specifics, but uh, there's a cooperation between Paul deciding prayerfully something and God's Spirit guiding him. Why Jerusalem? Why does he want to go to Jerusalem? We're not told here in Acts, but uh, in his letter to the Ephesian Church, uh, sorry, to the Roman Church, uh, which he wrote somewhere on this journey. Uh, we find out the reason. Romans 15, verse 25. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. That's why he wants to go to Jerusalem. There's a famine. The Christians there are starving, and Paul's made a commitment that he's going to collect money from the Gentile churches to help them. And so that's why we read in Acts that Paul was heading to Jerusalem via Macedonia and Achaia. That's a very long way around. Yes, he's visiting the churches, but he's also collecting the money that they've put aside. And that's actually why he sent Timothy and Erastus to go on ahead to make sure the money is ready when he arrives. Anyway, so let's jump forward to Acts 20 verse 13. Uh, We see that that's what he's done. Uh, He's now made it via Macedonia and Achaia, and he's made it back to Asia, and he's heading for Jerusalem. He he lands in Troas, and then he makes his way down to Assos, and then finally, verse 15, he's in Miletus, which has got the red circle on it. Uh, But in verse 16, he decides he he hasn't got time to, to jump from Miletus up to Ephesus. He wants to make it back to Jerusalem before Pentecost. Now, here's where the story gets interesting as far as our theme of guidance goes. Because he wants a last word with the Ephesian elders, but he hasn't got time to visit the city, so he sends a message up to Ephesus and calls the elders down to him. Now, it's about 70 kilometres from Ephesus to Miletus. Would have taken a few days walking. Uh, And when the elders arrive, Paul... He gives this wonderful speech. We haven't got time to look at the details of it. We'll we'll pick pick the good bits out or or the the relevant bits for our topic. Uh, But Paul starts by reminding them of their shared experience. He spent more than uh, around two years in Ephesus, their shared experience. Verse 19, he'd served the Lord among them with great humility and tears, even though severely tested by the Jews. It didn't stop him preaching whatever was helpful. And verse 21, here's a summary of his message. Jews and Greeks must turn to God in repentance and have faith in Jesus. That's the gospel, isn't it? Uh, The gospel is what is most helpful. He preached whatever was most helpful. He preached the gospel to people. Uh, Have a look a bit further down to verse 27. He describes uh, his ministry and he says he hadn't hesitated to proclaim to them the whole will of God. Which is an interesting phrase, isn't it, in our context of looking at this theme of guidance. The will of God probably means something like the, whole, the full testimony of Scripture and Christian doctrine. It means something like that. But in terms of this idea of the will of God, if we connect that back up to what his message was, his message was that people need to turn to God and repent and trust Jesus then the whole will of God can be summed up in that gospel message. What God wants for people, what is most helpful for people, is that they turn to God in repentance and trust Jesus, that they respond to the gospel. You see, that's what God wants for all people. Whatever situation they're in, whatever small uh, decisions they make or large decisions, God wants all people to turn to him in repentance and trust Jesus. We'll come back to that later. Uh, But verse 22, uh, he says this. But now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. That's really the key of what we want to focus on today. We know he's decided to go to Jerusalem in the Spirit. Back in 1921, he said that, by the Spirit's guidance. But here he says something a bit more specific. He says he's compelled by the Spirit. Other versions have he's constrained or bound by the Spirit. That The Holy Spirit is strongly influencing him to head to Jerusalem. But at the same time, very next verse, he's warned by the Spirit. Prison and hardships are there. Now we're told that that warning comes in every city which I think, as we'll see with a couple of examples in the next chapter, is probably from prophets who are in each of the churches that he visits in those cities. He visits the church, they have a church service, and there's a prophet who receives a message from God about Paul, warning him of prison and hardships. Compelled by the Spirit on one hand, warned on the other. Seems a bit like mixed messages to me. So what's going on? Well, we'll come back and look at the speech again, but just flip uh, over to chapter 21 and we'll see a little more about how God guides. They keep travelling, they get close to Jerusalem, they make it as far as Tyre, uh, where verse 4, God starts using some other people to deliver his message. Finding the disciples there, so this is in Tyre, uh, we stayed with them seven days, Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But then a bit further on, they move on from Tyre. Uh, They make it as far as Caesarea. They're nearly at Jerusalem. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt. When we heard this, we and the people people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So this is Luke, the the gospel writer, as well as the church there, said, please don't go. Prophets with visual aids, people pleading, urging through the Spirit. And yet Paul is compelled or constrained by the Spirit to go. It's interesting, down in verse 13, Paul says uh, their their fervour and their tears is is just breaking Paul's heart. He's being ripped apart. They're telling him to do one thing, but he knows God wants him to do another. They're breaking his heart. So, So what is God's will? Is Paul unsure? He doesn't seem to be unsure. Well, of course, there's no contradiction at all. God does want Paul to go to Jerusalem, but he's also warning him of what awaits him, to prepare him, to make sure he can handle the pressure when it's applied. The messages are warnings, not commands. They're warnings, not commands. They're they're not a stop road sign or a U-turn sign. They're a, a warning sign of dangerous curves ahead or rough surface ahead, there to help you get ready, not to stop you. So that's Paul. What about us? Well, here's one thing that it means for us. Contrary to what we sometimes think or would like to think, God's will for us is not that we always live a comfortable life. God's will for us is, is not that we always live a comfortable life. Paul's already experienced it in his life. He'll discover it again in the next few chapters. In fact, he's known it since the very first few days he was converted. Back in chapter 9, Jesus told Ananias, This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's God's will for Paul, that he would carry the name of Jesus, but also suffer for the name of Jesus. Now on the surface, it seems like there's a contradiction. Warnings, but Paul is confident that he knows what God wants. Someone with weaker convictions might have given up and heeded the warnings and searched for an easier path in life, something more comfortable, but not Paul. Have a look at why he keeps pressing on. Uh, Chapter 20, verse 24. Chapter 20, verse 24. He knows what God's will is and he's going to do it despite the warnings. 20, verse uh, 23, he says, In every city the Holy Spirit warns me, prison and hardships are facing me. Verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's his primary focus. He's going to see it through whatever the consequences personally for him. That's God's will. Even though he knows what the future's holding, it doesn't sway him from the path. We've seen it already. People responding to the gospel is the most important thing God wants for any of us. It's more important than what unicourse we do, or what car we drive, or what job we hold, or where we live. It's more important than your comforts, your possessions, your, your security, your career. For Paul, it's more important even than his own life. I consider my life worth nothing. Have a look at another declaration from Paul. Chapter 21, verse 13. Just flip over the page. Chapter 21, verse 13. The brothers uh, in Caesarea have just heard this this prophecy from Agabus. Uh, The people pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? And then he says, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem. Why? For the name of the Lord Jesus. When he wouldn't be dissuaded, we gave up. (laughs) Now that's Luke plus the church members. We gave up. The Lord's will be done. We accept that that's God's will. He's ready to die. When it comes to decision-making, the pros and the cons, you see his personal safety, it's not even on the list. It's not even a factor. The number one pro, the number one point in favour of heading to Jerusalem is that the name of the Lord Jesus be honoured. His reputation, his his honour and Paul's going to proclaim that name. That's God's will. That Jesus be declared everywhere even Jerusalem, even if it means Paul dies. Because God's will is not that we always live the most comfortable life. So remember that when you're going through a difficult time, and you will, and some of you are. Problems with health, or money, or relationships, maybe ridicule and persecution because you're a Christian. Don't assume that you are not living in God's will when something is tough. Don't assume that there's something wrong, or that you've done something wrong. That you've somehow missed the path of God's perfect plan. Uh, James 1:2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face certain trials. Because you know that the testing, the trialling of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's God's will to use those things in your life to bring glory to Jesus through you, to honour Jesus' name, to train and discipline you. Because, you see, that's what a loving father does. He disciplines you. Hebrews 12 puts it like this. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Of course it's not pleasant. It's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. That's God's will. Whatever your circumstances, honour the name of the Lord Jesus through it. Grow more like him so that you can live out and declare the good news uh, of Jesus. And that's why Paul's headed for Jerusalem. That's why he's compelled by the Spirit, but warned as well. Now, it's not as if Paul has a death wish. He would love to keep preaching beyond Jerusalem. In fact, when he writes to the Romans he's actually thinking beyond Jerusalem and he's praying that his ministry would be extended. Have a look at what he says in Romans 15, verse 30. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service in Jerusalem, the collection, may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will, there it is again, I may come to you in Rome with joy and together with you be refreshed. He wants to get through Jerusalem and make it to Rome, not for his own comfort though, so that the church there can be refreshed. And he eventually does get there. It takes a few more years, a few more twists, but that's a story for another day. You see what God's will is for churches? That churches be encouraged and built up and together we be refreshed. Now that's why I can say confidently that it's God's will for you that you are in church each Sunday so that you can be refreshed and you and others can be built up. And it's God's will for you that you be involved in some sort of It doesn't have to be a home group, but that's what we've got here at our church, home group Bible studies. It's why it's God's will for you to be involved in some sort of ministry, some sort of service, where you can play a part in building all of us up. That's what church is for. Churches are to make and to grow disciples of Jesus. That's God's will. And because... Paul knows that that's God's will. He wants to build up those Ephesian elders. He wants them to be doing that job in that Ephesian church. Chapter 20, verse 28. He says, Keep watch over yourselves. Keep watch over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. After I leave, savage wolves will come in and won't spare the flock. See, God has appointed those elders to protect the sheep. It's His will that they be protected. They are precious. They cost the blood of His Son. Now, Paul knows that false teachers will come, but even so, he's confident that the Christians in Ephesus will make it to the end. How can he be confident when the dangers? are so real. Because it's actually God's will that those Christians persevere. God will preserve them. Look in verse 32. Paul says, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now that is God's will. That his children persevere to the end, that they be preserved and be found in him for eternity. And so every decision that we make, daily, hourly, big ones, little ones, needs to have that one big goal in mind, how we bring God's children into their inheritance. When you think about what job to take, what uni course to do, where to live, Think about which of your choices will help you to build up God's children, will help to bring them into their inheritance. Because, you see, God cares about that a lot more than he cares about what colour car you drive or whether you're a lawyer or a garbage collector or whether you rent or buy a house. Let me finish with... Paul's request, Paul's prayer for the Ephesian elders as he commits them to God. Uh, And that's really my prayer for you. Uh, It's a goal that influences the sorts of decisions I make. Uh, It's a prayer that God would do his will in your lives. Let me finish with these words I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen.